generations to come. Good afternoon. It's February 15th at 1.07 p.m. here on the East Coast. This is the Thoroughbred Daily News Writer's Room Podcast. I'm Bill Finley, the host today, and I'm also a correspondent with Thoroughbred Daily News. I co-host the SiriusXM Down the Stretch show each week with Dave Johnson, Saturday mornings. I am Randy Moss. I am no longer a writer as such, but I work for NBC Sports. Zoe Kevin here with XBTV and First Racing. I, I seem to be missing Doodle. He's he's disappeared for now. I know you guys have your dogs strategically placed, and we'll see them throughout the show. But I think Doodle is he's bowing out this one. All right, and Randy, before we go ahead, I got to ask you, your right eye. Like, did you get in the ring with Floyd Mayweather or something? What's the deal here, about? You should see the other guy, Bill. Uh, okay. No, actually, I had a little uh, uh, dermatological. Is that how you say it? The dermatology work done. So. Good enough. Well, this I hope you're uh, back on the road to recovery. And thanks for joining us uh, with the uh, little eye issue there. Hey, um, let's do uh, what let's get right into last weekend, because, you know, as, as, as is the case this time of year, you're going to get almost every Saturday some major races. But it was not so much to me, the boys that took center stage this weekend, but the Phillies in the Suncoast Stakes at Tampa Bay Downs. And, you know, you wouldn't think, here's this little race, a kind of this little racetrack is not even graded. Why would this be such a big deal? Well, it was because, first of all, Wonder Wheel came back in that race. She is the uh, obviously the two-year-old Philly champion, uh, owned by DJ Stables and our friends, the Green family. Uh, Julia Shining, the full sister to Malathat, who had won the Demoiselle, was in there. So, you know, Cassie Pletcher, who's going to win? Which one of these Titans? Wait a minute, it's won by Gerald Bennett? 78-year-old claiming trainer, a guy who's been at it for years and years, has won over 4,000 races. And I bet you there's some listeners to this podcast who don't even know who he is. But you like to see the little guy win. He won it with Dreaming of Snow. But it was an interesting race. And, you know, you can look at it a lot of different ways. Did Wonder Wheel need the race? Mark Cassie said the horse was a little bit tired. Um, will she move forward off that? All that is true. But, Randy, to me, that's a disappointment. You're the two-year-old Philly champion, and you can't run by a horse that is kind of a glorified allowance horse from Tampa Bay Downs. Well, maybe Dreaming of Snow is a little bit better than she was given credit for. I don't know. Uh, anybody who followed DRC in Hazel Park back in the day definitely knows who Gerald Bennett is, and anybody who handicaps Tampa Bay Downs on a regular basis knows who Gerald Bennett is, and it's nice to see a small-time guy get a chance to win a race like this. Look, I thought Wonder Wheels showed up. Uh, I can totally buy what Cassie said, that uh, it was the first start of the year. Maybe she was just a little bit short. She seemed to have dead aim on uh, Dreaming of Snow all the way down the stretch and couldn't get by. And I thought Julia Shining ran a very good race in defeat. In fact, I would argue that given the trips, Julia Shining probably ran a little better race than Wonder Wheel did. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, Dreaming of Snow comes back, and I would expect that, uh, that we'll see good efforts down the road once again from both Wonder Wheel and Julia Shining. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you, Randy. I mean, let's listen, this is no knock on Tampa Bay Downs, but sometimes what happens at Tampa generally seems to stay at Tampa. It can be a very testing track. It's a great track for legging up horses. We know that Wonder Wheel did not leg up there. She was at Cassie's training facility. Perhaps that's a little bit more glib. She cruised into the stretch like she was going to win by 10. In my mind, she looked like a filly who got tired. I mean, Tyler hadn't moved on her. And I'm looking at this little dreaming of slow snow who's just trying and trying and trying. And 
the little part of me was hoping she got there and she did get there, stay there dreaming of snow because I love Gerald Bennett. I rode in Chicago for a long time. So I've known him. I've known his son, Dale Bennett. I rode for him. So I was cheering for the little guy and wonder will she'll have her day. I mean, she's a proven commodity. She's not pace dependent anymore, thanks to a new running style. And she ran like a filly who got tired. In my mind, she's a big growthy filly, but she never carries a whole lot of weight. And when you're looking at fillies like that, she may look as fit as a fiddle because there's not a pick on her. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe Mark was right. Maybe he ran a short horse. So I think she'll come on. Uh, Julia Shining looked like she was running in quicksand the whole way, but then she always does. She always looks like she's under a full drive at the three-quarter pole, even the two times that she's won. So I think both of those fillies will be move forward. And maybe Dreaming of Snow is a little better than we all thought the daughter of Jess's dream. It's a good story to follow, and I like those yeah. stories. I mean, I'm somewhat in agreement with you guys. I mean, the jury is still out. But if, you know, if 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 the big girls got beat by a really strong candidate, you know, a horse that was running big figures, et cetera, I could put a little bit more stock in the race. But what a neat story, Gerald Bennett, is he's 78 years old. And instead of slowing down, he's won seven straight training titles at Tampa Bay Downs. And he and as Randy said, uh, he came out of Michigan. He had not won. He had only won two graded stakes races in his career. And he had to go all the way back to 1990 in Bo Genius, if you remember that horse, to uh, get uh, Gerald Bennett's last um, uh, graded stakes winners. He told me the horse will likely run next in the fantasy at Oakland. Randy, you know, fast forward. Is she I, I'm doing my Kentucky Oaks top 10 today. It'll be in the Thursday edition of the TDN by the time. Uh, you're listening to this podcast, it'll be out. I didn't include her in my top 10. I, I can't. I, I got to see more from her before I put her in there. I could I could see that. I mean, I would I would certainly have her on the bubble if I didn't put her in the top 10. The buyer speed figure only came up 83, which is what Wonder Wheel got when she won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. She's probably going to step forward from there. Uh, whether this is the peak for uh, Dreaming of Snow, I don't know. But it was a good effort from her, and she's a filly you can root for down the line, I guess. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for Dreaming of Snow, and we'll see what the other girls do. But they have to move forward off of that. If they don't, then they've gone backwards. I think the next yeah, I mean, stop. That, that's the um, both Wonder Wheel and um, uh, Julia Shining are going to the Ashland next, and that'll be the race that'll really answer the questions. If they run another kind of lackluster second or third, well, you can really make the case that they haven't developed that much this year. Um, okay, so let's stay at Tampa Bay Downs and Todd Pletcher who really likes to run at Tampa Bay Downs. Um, and, you know, you see that he brought Julia Shine in, in there he, uh, in the Suncoast. He won with Nest last year. He's won the Sam F. Davis Stakes seven times in his career. Uh, he won it this year with Litigate, won by a length and a quarter, coming off a second place in an allowance race at Gulfstream Park. Um, you know, again, uh, is this horse a major Kentucky Derby contender? Not at this point. You'd have to see more. But I think one thing is interesting, at one point in time, it looked like Pletcher didn't have a lot of depth. It was kind of forte and nothing else. And then tap it, Trice, is it, Randy? Remember we had that whole discussion last week? <laughs> tap it, Trice wins it? that Which allowance. Is it, is it Trice now or Trice? Well, Randy thinks it's Trice. It, technically, it should be yeah. tap it, Trice. But right. the owner is gets the final say. And as of right now, unless she changes her mind, and she's thinking about it, right. uh, it's tap it, Trice. Okay. okay, so be it Tappet Trice or Tappet Trice, all of a sudden Pletcher, um, you know, was added to his 
his list of, you know, really legit Kentucky Derby contenders. There probably would be more to come. Uh, he's got a horse in the Risen Star Stakes, uh, New York, but of all things, on, on Saturday at the Fairgrounds, which we're going to talk a lot about later on. Randy, do you, what do you make of Litigate? Is, you know, is, is he a serious Kentucky Derby candidate at this point? No, no. Uh, yeah. He ran the last quarter in the race in 27 seconds flat. Uh, got a buyer speed figure of 77. To me, Litigate's win in the Sam Davis is yet another example why Todd Pletcher is the greatest trainer in modern racing history at getting horses into the Kentucky Derby and managing the point system and before that the earning system to get sometimes mediocre horses into the Derby to give their owners that experience. And Litigate gets 20 points for winning the Sam F. Davis. Pletcher had eight horses nominated for the race, chose to run only Litigate. The horse was training well, but Todd didn't tell me this, but I think another reason is that he looked at the race, saw it was a weak race, and thought that this would be a perfect opportunity to get a horse like Litigate Kentucky Derby points. The best three-year-old that Todd Pletcher ran at Tampa Bay Downs last weekend was not Litigate. It was Kings Barnes, who the next day on Sunday in a first-level allowance race won by seven and three-quarters lengths. He's the son of Uncle Mo, an $800,000 two-year-old. He's two for two. He got an 85 buyer. He is a better horse than Litigate, but Litigate gets the points because Pletcher managed it in exactly the right way. He also gets a crucial graded stakes earning as an early three-year-old. So whatever happens, I mean, I think Pletcher can see by, see past the Derby being the be-all and end-all. He's got three-year-olds. He's got dozens of top-class three-year-olds. They need graded stakes wins. And that has to go on their resume. He's a guy who's had a habit of building stallions over the years, regardless of whether they win the Derby. Most of them are in it. I'm going to rattle off some past winners of the Sam F. Davis so we can just kind of gauge on where we're going. So we have Litigate, Classic Causeway, Candyman Rocket, Sol Volante, uh, Well Defined, Flame Away, McCracken, Destin, Ocean Knight, Vince Ramos, Falling Sky, Battle Hardened, I can't even remember him. Sorry, Eddie Keneally. Breathlin, Rule, General Quarters, Fierce Wind, Any Given Saturday, Bluegrass Cat, Anadromia's Hero, Cough, Coffee Mate, White Buck, Bunk and Ted, Burning Roma, and Go Lib Go, going back to 2000. Now, none of those jump off the page as really, really top-class horses. Right. right. And, and well, I think that's where we're at. So we'll see uh, more from Litigate down the road. I'm not sure where he's going to run him next. Okay, so at Aqueduct, we had the Withers Stakes, which was rescheduled after they had to uh, cancel the prior week because of the cold. And, and Randy, there were two stories here uh, to me. First of all, hit show winning for Brad Cox, you know, speaking of guys loaded for the, the Kentucky Derby. But um, I know I don't believe you do the buyer figures for Aqueduct, but I'm sure you're paying attention. What the heck is going on there? They ran this race mile and eighth in 154.7. The final three eights went in 41.28 seconds. And the day before, granted, it was an 8,000 claimer. The horses, they actually finished a mile and eighth race at Aqueduct in 159.04. Um, the uh, hit show who looked, you know, he got a perfect trip, but he looked good winning. Probably didn't beat a great field. One by five and a half. I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you got a 91 buyer. But first of all, uh, Randy, have you been paying attention to how slow that track is? And, um, you know, does that have any bearing on, uh, on the, uh, you know, the overall picture here? Oh, it can. I think it has a huge bearing. It, it makes this race very tough to gauge. 
when, when the track is that horribly slow, like it's been at Aqueduct, I mean, some horses handle it well, other horses hate it. The margins, because horses are exhausted, the margins become greatly exaggerated, which can also at times inflate the speed figure. So you really don't know what to think about Hit Show. He looked good. He got a perfect trip. But the margins, he wins by five and a half. Arctic Arrogance was six and a quarter lengths ahead of third place General Banker, who was 14 and three quarters lengths ahead of the fourth place horse. The fifth place horse was 23 lengths ahead of the sixth. It, it's ridiculous. So you really don't know that much more about Hit Show than he did going in. He's an improving horse going in the right direction, trained by Brad Cox. He's got some talent. How much talent? We still don't know. The jury's still out. Yeah, visually, he looked good. Time-wise, not so good. Final three eights, 41 and change. To use a quote from John G. Dooley from the fairgrounds, the rest of them were staggering home like Bourbon Street regulars. And that's exactly <laughs> what it looked like. They were crawling. Half of them looked drunk coming down the lane. And I think that just shows what a tiring track it is right now. It's a safe track, which is fine by me. But um, I think either they like it or they don't. And we'll see what happens. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Keeneland will re-offer six two-year-olds previously purchased as yearlings at last year's September sale, which are actively in training in Ocala. Offers will be accepted Monday, February the 27th to Wednesday, March the 1st. Visit keeneland.com slash re-offer for full instructions and details. We'll be right back after these messages from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say, this is racing. This beating heart in the heart of horse country. Steady and strong beneath the roar. Reminding us why. For the love of the horse. For generations to come. The best two-year-old by legendary sire, Quality Road. Head back, a million five. Very, very impressive debut. Cantering home could not have been more impressive. Coast to coast in the American Pharaoh. He's the real deal. Undefeated and unchallenged at two. He's just too good. He wins the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Cornish. Cornish, the newest champion to Coolmore, America. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Coolmore. It's been a big week overseas for the Coolmore stallion, Justify. His Just for Sol was an impressive winner in Saudi Arabia last Saturday, winning by more than 13 lengths. That gave Justify his second international win on the day after his superstar filly, Learning to Fly, won the $2 million English Millennium Stakes to cement her place as the favorite for the Golden Slipper. Justify stands at Ashford Stud for a fee of 100,000. Other Coolmore Stallions that were also active overseas were looking at Lucky's Tall Boy, winning the Group 3 UAE Guineas on Friday, breaking his maiden, guys. Just remember that. And here in America, it was another three-year-old by looking at Lucky. She's looking Lucky, who dazzled in a maiden special weight with a 13-length romp in her debut at the fairgrounds. Well, it's kind of a rough week for horse racing so far as the people that were lost and some real giants in the industry uh, passed away during the week. Burt Backrack, Diana Firestone, and John Veach. And I want to start with Burt Backrack uh, because he was such a, I, I didn't know him personally, but we all obviously knew his music. And 
Um, you know, it was the soundtrack to our youth, sort of, in, in, in many cases. I mean, he wrote uh, literally dozens and dozens of major hits, but he loved horse racing. And he campaigned some really good horses. The people out in the West Coast tell me that he was always around the track and was, you know, always real friendly with the fans and whatnot. And I, I dug up a column that Jim Murray, the uh, fabulous columnist for the uh, Los Angeles Times, wrote about Backrack in 1994. And this is his quote from uh, his quoting Backrack. Why do I race? I think it's because most of us are in a world where we have control over. We control what's going on, whether it's a concert, a TV series, a movie to score or a tune to be written. And we have something we love but can't control. You can't make a horse run faster than he wants to. That's the pain of it. But it's exhilarating for people who otherwise control their lives. Besides, the crowd is uh, the race crowd is different, more understated, more calm, more comfortable to be with. We're like the $2 better. We deal with the disappointments, shrug off the defeats, go back to the drawing board, the form. You know how we are. There's always tomorrow. Uh, he had at least three grade one winners. Oh, well, not the least. He had three grade one winners. First of all, Heartlight number one, who was a champion. Uh, Afternoon Delights, who uh, ironically and tragically passed away uh, today, uh, excuse me, yesterday on uh, Tuesday, uh, was put down at Old Friends. We'll talk maybe a little bit more about that. And um, Soul of the Matter. But Randy, you know, just one of those great ambassadors for the game. And, and you know, he lived to be 94 years old. So he had a great run. Yeah, I... I used to spend, when I was in the newspaper business, I spent, uh, for 15 years, I spent my summers at Louisiana Downs Racetrack. And I had to look up the date, September 30th, 1994. It was a Friday night. I was out with a group of friends at a live music venue in Shreveport, Louisiana, standing by the bar. The band was playing. I looked over. There's freaking Burt Bacharach standing there with his wife. And I'm like, what do I do? You know, I want to talk to the guy, but he didn't know who the hell I am. He still wouldn't know who the hell I was a year ago. So I, but, so I, I walked over there, introduced myself. And for the next hour, we hung out and talked a little bit about music. He was there because a couple of the guys playing in the band had played with Elvis. And he knew one of them and he wanted to come out and hear them. And we talked most of the time about horse racing. He could not have been nicer or more friendly. My friends were like, dude, you know Burt Bacharach? I'm like, I do now. <laughs> uh, the very next day was the Super Derby, which is why he was in Shreveport. Soul of the Matter was running in the Super Derby on Saturday. Uh, he beat Concern. Both of them wound up running in the Breeders' Cup Classic in their next starts, Concern winning the Classic. But I went down to the winner's circle, as I would to cover you know, for the newspaper business, and, and he sees me and walks over with a smile, remembered my name from the night before, uh, just what a gentleman, what a nice guy. I never saw him again, never talked to him again, but at least I have a, uh, a Burt Bacharach story. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him around a lot. I've seen him in the winner's circle several times. Carla Gaines trained for him. Duvet Day won for Michael McCarthy last week. His last winner just a couple of weeks ago in the Astra Stakes, so that was quite apropos. And he just always seemed just a really cool guy. Obviously, he's survived by Jane, a.k.a. Raindrops, which is her nickname. And um, he just loved horse racing. I can remember my mum saying, I'm like, oh, yeah, Jane and Burt Backrack were there. And I never really heard a whole lot about Burt Backrack. A little bit before my time, guys. Just, you know, throwing that out there. But my you mother. You me and Randy old? No, no, not at all. <laughs> but my mother. Oh, my God. You, Burt Backrack? She was beside herself. And she was like, do you, you know Burt Bacharach? Can, can you get a picture? And I'm like, oh my, just, that is just the type of 
That's just how Bert was. He's just a really cool guy. My mother was in awe. I was in awe. And I mean, he played pretty much right up until a couple of months before he passed. He was still composing songs. And I think if there ever was a list of all the songs that he's written and composed, the younger generation today would be absolutely shocked at some of the artists that are now in the modern limelight that he's written songs for. Because a lot of the time you don't know who's writing the songs, you just know who's singing them, right? And he's just a master who loved horse racing. I know Carla Gaines was very close with them. She went over and spent the day with Jane and the family just last week. I took care of her dogs for her because she saw me in the morning and she's like, Bert passed last night. Everyone was around. I've got to go over there. I've got this new puppy. Can you take care of him? And I'm like, yeah, I'm really sorry. And um, everyone was with him. So he lived to a ripe old age along with afternoon delights and they passed within days of each other. I'm not sure Bert would have wanted it any other way, to be honest. Yeah, and Afternoon Delights uh, was put down at Old Friends on uh, Tuesday at the age. They, they said 31, um, but but by uh, the way we measure horses, because it's after January 1, his actual birthday hadn't come up yet this year, but uh, he would be officially 32, and he was the oldest resident of, of um, Old Friends. So um, Bert Backrack and perhaps his best ever horse, though Heartlight number one again. Uh, was his, his lawn champion, and she was terrific. But he had these three really, really good horses. And as, as Zoe mentioned, I, I mean, what a way to go out. His last ever starter won the Asper Stakes at Santa Anita. Then so far as the passings of Mrs. Firestone and John Beach, as someone who's, you know, Randy, you, know, you talk about your all your time in Louisiana Downs. Well, when I was writing for the newspapers, you know, my time was all spent around the New York racetracks in an era where we still had the what we call the society stable. You know, uh, really, the only one we might have left is sort of the fifth stable now. But where there are these aristocratic, uh, aristocratic families that own these great stables and they had their private trainers, we don't see that anymore at all. John Veach made his mark for Calumet Farm back when they had the famed, not this Calumet Farm, back when they had the famed um, red and, and blue silks. And then, uh, uh, you know, he had four champions for them. And, and one that wasn't champion was probably his best ever horse with Alidar. With the 1978 Triple Crown was, to me, the greatest Triple Crown uh, series ever because of the rivalry between those two horses. And then uh, Diana Firestone, along with her husband, Bert, trained numerous champions, uh, including Genuine Risk, who won the 1980 Kentucky Derby. So two titans of the sport also passed away. Yeah, the Firestones had Genuine Risk and Theatrical, who Bill Mott credits for really jumpstarting his career. Uh, were it not for the insistence of Burt Firestone, who passed away in 2021, and Diana Firestone, we would never have had the historic win by Genuine Risk in the Kentucky Derby in 1980, because they were the ones who pressed trainer Leroy Jolly to run Genuine Risk against the boys out of a sense of adventure and, and wanting a challenge. And as far as John Veach goes, Daily Racing Form had a great statistic. Out of all the career wins that John Veach had, I think there were 400. 18.5% of all of his wins were in grade one stakes races. That is the definition of a big race trainer. I, I think he had like 492 winners, which, you know, when we're looking at Steve Asmussen's 10,000, you're like, oh, really? And he's in the Hall of Fame? But that was kind of like the norm back in those days. And then you're looking at a trainer that, like John Sheriffs that a lot of people are saying he should be in the Hall of Fame. He, I think he's got 500 and something wins. But if you look at his lifetime statistics as well in graded stakes, 
very high. I mean, these are guys who know how to win the big races, and that's basically what they pride themselves on doing. Well, let's turn our attention now to one of these unpleasant subjects that we have to tackle every so often here. And uh, Bob Baffert and his spat with the uh, Churchill Downs was back in the news. And it took a pretty, I mean, this thing has been ugly from the start, but it took a pretty ugly turn this week. Um, first of all, uh, Baffert and his legal team were in court in Kentucky uh, over the last couple of weeks trying to get a judge to overturn the ban that, as we speak, will keep him out of uh, training the uh, Kentucky Derby starter this year. And, and the clock is ticking because not only uh, can he not, if, if, if things um, don't break right by the end of this month, if the, if horses, uh, if, if Baffert doesn't win in court, um, if if he wants to get his horses into the Derby under these new rules that came in this year, apparently there were new rules. Nobody really knew anything about it till this year. Horses have to be turned over to another trainer by the end of this month, by February 20th. That's 13 days from, from now. Um, but it involved um, the jockey club here, and Baffert's attorneys asked Judge Rebecca Jennings to recuse herself because they found that her husband had taken money as a lobbyist for uh, the jockey club. And uh, this is what uh, Baffert's lawyers had to say. It says, the jockey club has actively intervened publicly and litigiously in the litigation surrounding the Bob Baffert Medina spirit matter since the beginning of, of state and racing association action against Mr. Baffert. Now, uh, the fight has, has been not with so much with the Jockey Club. It's been with Churchill Downs and the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission. But the Jockey Club has been a player in, in this. Matter of fact, in 2021, they filed an amicus brief on behalf of Naira in opposition to Baffert's efforts to uh, get an injunction from the ban that Naira put in place against Baffert. Uh, that ban uh, has now uh, been, he served his time, so to speak, here. Churchill Downs, um, you know, they, they, there's a lot of saber rattling here. They came back and they called this a brazen and baseless attack on the integrity of this court. Um, I had to tell you, I think Baffert's lawyers have a very good point here. And, um, you know, one of the problems is the, the, the clock is ticking. I don't know how you get this straightened out, but there can't be any hint of impropriety in this. I, I'm sure uh, Judge Jennings is an honorable person. I'm sure her husband is an honorable person but that he was making money from the jockey club and the jockey club has stuck its neck out and, 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 and been involved in this. I, I think Baffert's lawyers have a good point. I don't know where on heck this is going um, other than to just continually to gum up the works, which have been gummed up from the very start. But uh, we'll find out more about this as, as uh, the case progresses. Yeah. I mean, based on what's transpired so far in the state of Kentucky, you'd have to think that Baffert and his lawyers would be up against it. But the fastest way in the world to look like an idiot is to try to predict what a judge is going to do or say in situations like this. I mean, when we get HISA going and the lawyers start throwing bombs back and forth with the HPPA and you get Baffert and his attorneys and Churchill Downs and all the acrimony going on there, I just can't wait until all this is behind us and we can mm -hmm. focus a hundred percent on horse racing instead of what's going on in the court systems. Well said. That's that's all I've got to say about it. I mean, I'm I'm sick of reading about stuff that's happening in the courts. Um, I mean, February 28th, we've already seen one of Bob's horses. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, but Harlow Cap already with Steve Asmussen to run this weekend at the fairgrounds. So they've already started the move. We'll have to wait and see what happens. I mean, I totally agree with both of you guys. I think we're not only are we sick of this, I think everybody is sick of this. You know, after the, this year's Kentucky Derby, uh, for the most part, it'll be over. They might still fight some things out in court, but Baffert will be reinstated. But, uh, you know, the clock is ticking. I, I, what's that, Zoe? 
Let's hope because it seems like they've moved the goalposts every time. Because yeah, well, yeah, perhaps, but I, I think happens. that we're we're going to see him. I mean, I in the twenty twenty four Kentucky Derby, Bob Baffert will be the trainer of, of whatever horses Bob Baffert has. But you know, it doesn't look good for him. I, I mean, the, the, this this judge has has acted as if she has you know um, shown signs that she's uh, going to side with the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission. Uh, excuse me, with Churchill Downs. If that's the case, uh, Mr. Baffert will not be able for the second straight year to run horses um, in the Kentucky Derby. They'll likely be turned over to another trainer, perhaps Tim Yakin. We shall find out. The Lane's End Stallion of the Week is Twirling Candy. Twirling Candy's three-year-old filly, A.G. Bullet, stretched out to a mile and rated nicely under Frankie Dettori to win Sunday's Lady of Shamrock Stakes on turf at Santa Anita, and on Saturday, it was Twirling Candy's three-year-old Colt Gilmore, who was a solid second in the El Camino Real Derby at Golden Gate in his 2023 debut. Quality Road, proving Lane's End's tried and true stallion-making tradition, a tradition that leads to success for our partners and our stallions. Quality Road has sired multiple Eclipse Award and Grade One winners, including champion two-year-old Colt Corniche, Champion two-year-old filly, Caledonia Road. Champion three-year-old filly, Abel Tasman. And multiple grade one winner, City of Light. He's a leader of his generation. Quality Road, a stallion that stands above the rest. The Fastest Horse of the Week is presented by the Fast Stallions at Windstar Farm. On average, only two to three horses a year record a buyer's speed figure of 100 or higher as a two-year-old and such precociousness is prized by breeders. Independence Hall did just that. In a 12 and a quarter length victory in the Nashua Stakes and only the second start of his career, Independence Hall would go on to record two more triple digit buyers, including a seven length victory over Code of Honor in the Fayette Stakes at Keeneland. That's a lot of speed for a stud fee of only $10,000 at Windstar Farm. And now for the fastest horse of the week. Technically, it would be Sibelius, a five-year-old gelding who last Saturday just missed the six furlong track record at Tampa Bay Downs in his hard-fought win in the Pelican State. Sibelius earned a 100 buyer speed figure, the highest of the week, but perhaps the most talked about buyer of the week was the 95 figure turned in by Skinner, a promising Colonel and Colton last Sunday beat a strong maiden field at Santa Anita by a widening three and one quarter lengths at one mile. That was Skinner's first start since October. If all goes well, you can look for Skinner in a Kentucky Derby prep next time out. He is owned by the prominent CRK stable of Lee and Susan Searing, whose Santa Anita Derby winner Honor AP finished fourth in the 2020 Kentucky Derby. Skinner is trained by John Sheriffs and was ridden Sunday by Victor Espinosa. The Green Group is an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry with over 500 clients in the horse business. The Green Group has proven strategies to save you taxes, and you can learn more at www.greenco.com. Welcome in now the Green Group guest of the week, Tom Amos. And what a perfect time to have Tom on the TDN Writers Room podcast, because on Saturday, Hoosier Philly, a horse that people are just falling in love with, for good reason, and we'll make her three-year-old debut in the Rachel Alexander Stakes. And Tom, uh, thank you for joining us. Take us beyond the past performances, beyond the speed figures. What have you seen in this filly from day one that you've been so effusive in your praise for her? Well, we're going to go back to her two-year-old year, obviously, and uh, and, and that's a while back. But um, when she got ready to run uh, at the beginning of September, 
you know, we, we had practice quite a bit with all the horses and, uh, and, and what she was doing in the mornings in her workouts and her strong moves against competition was, um, was unlike anything that we had seen in our barn. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to tell you all these champions I've had in the past, but we've had a lot of good horses and uh, not the likes of what Fletcher or Chad Brown or any of those guys have had. But we've had enough of them through the years since 1987 that this one was just different. Uh, Hoosier Philly was different than anything I've had before. So, Tom, heading now into the Rachel Alexandra, give us an update on – how she's been doing since we saw her last in the goldenrod. Obviously you look at the workouts and it looks like it's just been sensational recently. Yeah. I, Randy, you know, um, her preparation has been very, very good, but um, the expectations have now become so high with her. It, it's, 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 it's almost as if, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're anything less than a win is going to be a huge disappointment, not only to the barn and the ownership, but, but to the general racing public. Uh, Hoosier Philly has gone through, or perhaps just as she should. Uh, if there's any hesitancy in my voice at all, it's only because she hasn't run since uh, the end of November, and this is her first start off the bench. And um, I just want her to show me that she's the same horse she was at two, if not a more mature, better version of that. And in the mornings, that's what she's telling us. So hopefully we see that on Saturday. Tom, Zoe here. Once again, thanks for joining us. Happy Valentine's Day and happy Mardi Gras. I know you guys are all gearing up for Mardi Gras down there. I want to know where she went. Um, she had a little break. Where mm -hmm. would you send a filly like that? And was that a hard mm -hmm. decision to actually let her out of your clutches? Well, she went the same place that uh, Curly Jack went. So um, both those horses were bought at the Keeneland yearling sale and uh, they were uh, raised and broken and gotten ready to go to the racetrack at Woodford Farm in Ocala, uh, Florida. Um, after their last races in the end of November, I had thought to myself that we have a chance to have long and very nice three-year-old campaigns with both. And uh, we thought it was an opportunity uh, before it happened to give them about 30 days at the farm, let them go out in the fields on a daily basis, be a horse, uh, before bringing them back in and start intensifying their uh, training to get ready to run. But it had nothing to do with anything other than just wanting to give them a break because we thought we had big campaigns ahead of us. How important is that, Tom, to give them a break? Well, to me, it is. I mean, uh, every every trainer has their own style. Um, so I, I can't speak for anyone else other than our programs. And, um, you know, racehorses are, 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 are elite athletes and their training is also elite and, and fairly intense. And uh, I think, you know, look at any horse, no matter what level, and they go through periods of being very good and periods of not being as good. And when you have the opportunity to give them a break, particularly when they're healthy, uh, I think that 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 pays back in, you know, very nice dividends in the future. Uh, Tom, how about the is there pressure with training a horse like this or is it if there is pressure, it's a good feeling to have that with a horse in the barn like this? There's a real kind of. Uh, Ying and a yang to that, Bill. It's a great question. Um, you know, on the one hand, I've always tried to be very transparent about my horse with the betting public and the general public, uh, as long as the owner is not someone that, you know, wants the information kept to themselves. And this group has been very generous and said that I can speak as I want. So ever before, even before this filly ever ran, I, I praised her and said, she's the best we've ever had. Um, and um, and so I like I like being transparent like that. But but when you start making those kinds of statements, 
then every time you race, there's an expectation that's associated with with, with that kind of talented horse. And um and, and and that can make it to where, quite frankly, after a really big performance like the Goldenrod, it's almost more of a relief than it is joy of winning a race. So you really got to be careful on, on how you handle those situations. And uh, the short answer is yes, there's a lot of pressure involved with that. I'm not someone that thrives on pressure, but I can certainly handle it. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> talking about your comments and talking about the way the public has perceived your comments, I'd kind of like to get your opinion about the uh, Kentucky Derby future wager that we just saw. Uh, the second, I, think, I guess it was the second uh, phase of it that ended this past Sunday, where Hoosier Philly was behind only one other horse, was 11 to 1, the second individual betting interest over two dozen Colts. Now, you, you had mentioned casually that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, shy away from running or against Colts if the situation allowed. How did you feel about seeing that 11 to 1 up there for uh, for Hoosier Philly? Well, I'm going to answer that question in two parts. First is, uh, you know, from the standpoint of just being analytical and, and how we operate out of my barn. She's going to run in this race on uh, Saturday, the Rachel Alexandra. And, uh, and what she does after that race is so dependent on how she performs how she comes out of the race and uh, in, a, in a long discussion with the owners on what we're going to point to next. Uh, but that would be any horse, you know, getting ahead of yourself and thinking you do this or that uh, is, is, is silly. And, um, you know, when you think about what those odds closed at, if the Derby was run tomorrow, and if by some silly reason we decided that's what we were going to do, she'd be a lot more 11 to one uh, at post time. So why would you want to, why would you want to bet on something like that? But, you know, to me, it's it's all just a lot of noise, Randy. I'm, I'm looking forward to Saturday and, and her coming back as a healthy horse after the race. Hopefully a successful one. We'll see. Tom, you use Edgar Morales an awful lot, and he's the guy that may not be at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And I know especially towards the end of last year, they're like, well, you know, Tom could probably get anyone to ride this filly. Look how good she is. Who's this guy he's using? Tell us a little bit about Edgar and your relationship that you have with him, because he certainly looks like a remarkable young man, especially on the back of a horse. Yeah, so I, I'm, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that is not married to any one rider, and, and I certainly have made changes in the past with horses that I have. And a couple of years ago in Indiana, I was looking for a new rider to kind of carry the barn through our races there, and I gave Edgar an opportunity. I really liked what I saw. Uh, that grew into a, a bigger professional relationship uh, with him riding on horses and uh, and recognizing how talented he is. Um, so Edgar is a brilliant gate rider and he's a very, very strong finisher on the horse. And uh, to me, when I watch him ride, uh, I, I see the next big rider coming out of the, out of the Midwest. Um, how quickly he catches on or doesn't catch on, you know, part of that may be about his personality. He's a a quiet guy, very, very much an introvert, doesn't say a lot. And, you know, in our world of being a trainer or a jockey, you, you almost have to have, for lack of a better word, a little narcissism in you. And you got to think you're better than the rest and, and say that and he doesn't do any of that. And so uh, so maybe that hurts him. But but if you're if you're if you're a, a student of the game and you watch races and you watch him ride, you, he stands out to you. 
for the other riders. Yeah. Tom, this horse costs $510,000 at the sales. This day and age, that's not a huge price tag. Um, Todd Pletcher probably has 20 in his barn that costs more than that. But for you, that is sort of uncharted territory. I don't recall you ever getting much of a chance to go to the sales with a big bank account behind you. Mm -hmm. Tell us the story behind that. And, you know, what what is the future now of Tom Amos buying six-figure horses? <laughs> I don't know the future of Tom Amos buying <laughs> six-figure horses. But, uh, but, but to speak directly to your question, Bill, um, you know, this source is by Into Mischief, and Into Mischief, just to breed to him, is a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000. So this would be a baby of his that uh, that, that really probably is not even um, at, the, at the yearling average for Into Mischief. But, uh, but this is a horse that uh, at the sale we liked. Uh, I, I mean, full disclosure, I buy a lot of my yearlings. This is not a horse that I found. Uh, Lauren Carlisle found the horse. I came behind her and 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 looked at the horse and I liked her as well. Uh, and this ownership stepped in and bought the horse. But fate is a funny thing. Uh, this this same group was looking to buy at um, Saratoga and didn't get a horse at the Saratoga sale. And they were going to buy one horse. If they got something, then Hoosier Philly would be in somebody else's barn because I don't have another client with that kind of money. So uh, you know. I've always said luck is a great thing to have in anything, especially horse racing. And so, um, you know, we were able to get her and um, and um, I, I'm able to see a race out of our barn. I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. So, Tom, a half hour after the Rachel Alexander is the risen star and you've got Curly Jack going in that. Uh, mm -hmm. You and I go back a long, long way. And I know from experience that you're a really good handicapper and you also give very honest assessments when you right. can about your own horses. So how good is Curly Jack? So Curly Jack uh, is a, a good two-year-old turning three. And, um, you know, when you handicap the Kentucky Derby, when the time comes, you usually classify it into three groups. You classify it into a group of contenders, and, you, and maybe then the next group is some outsiders you think have a chance. And the third group is a group that have earned their way in. They've, they've gotten their points. They deserve to be in there. But maybe that's not where you're going to have your win money on. And for Curly Jack to move out of that third group, because he does have points and, uh, and uh, from his two-year races, to move into one of those top two categories, he's got to be better at three than he was at two. But, but I'll give you some things to support why I think that's a real chance, a real possibility. Um, at two. He really didn't understand racing, wasn't very good about competition. It got him beat at Ellis Park. He made the lead and then got beat at the wire by a horse he passed. Uh, and then after the Breeders' Cup, and the Breeders' Cup was, uh, that's on me. I really thought that day speed was a good thing to have. And I kind of took him out of his game. And that's, that's if there's a 10 commandments of horse racing for a trainer, commandment number one is don't change your horse's style. And I did that that day. Uh, and I shouldn't have, and he didn't run well. So we decided to give him one more race when we were really going to give him some time off at that point to, to his three-year-old campaign. And it was a very good one um, in the jockey club. Um, you know, he got stuck in traffic. It was a slow pace. When he finally got out, he came running. Uh, the horse that beat him flattered the race by winning the Lecompte here at Fairgrounds, a horse named Instant Coffee. And Curly Jack has come back, as most horses do from two to three, as a stronger version of himself. So, uh, you know, Again, if the Derby was run right now, he would be certainly a horse that would be considered an outsider at best. But uh, 
but I think he has a chance to to step forward uh, between now and the first Saturday of May, assuming he stays healthy. It looked like he put it all together in that race. What what kind of trip does he need to move forward at uh, at the fairgrounds this weekend? Because that's a big field. There's a lot of horses in that. Well, I think to move forward, number one, when you when you draw a field of fourteen, you know the first thing you're thinking of is, well, I'm not a front running type horse, so I'm going to need a clean trip. So the first thing is going to need a good trip uh, to be a competitor in that race. Second thing is going to need some pace up front to set up what he likes to do, which is to close. And, um, you know, I do see pace in there. So uh, that that's a good sign. Uh, but, you know, Edgar, Edgar's a, you know, he's a cerebral rider. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to pick the trip and, and hopefully we get it. We can be a clean trip at that. Where's the Mardi Gras parade this year? <laughs> we're, we're, are you riding in a parade? No, not anymore. I used to do it when the kids were little, uh, yeah. but not anymore. But I dress up every Mardi Gras. That's something I did when I was a kid, and uh, I was too cool for it when I became a teenager, but uh, I found my way back, so I dress up every year. Yeah, dress fun- up as as in how? Well, I can't tell you. It's a secret. <laughs> it? oh, yeah, Everyone dresses secret. up. It's amazing. And then you all walk downtown and follow the parade. I'll send you I'll send you our best. I'll, I'll send you one of our best, Randy. Okay. All I can tell you is you have to keep in mind that in New Orleans, we have the worst streets in North America. I mean, you literally <laughs> can't drive down them without hitting a pothole. We have we, there's actually a, a site on Twitter where, where it's just potholes, New Orleans or something like that. So I'll send you I'll send you one of our latest. You can take a look at it. Okay. But it's not worth doing this year. We're doing something different. <laughs> All right. Well, Tom, good, best of luck this weekend, not only with Hoosier Philly, but with Curly Jack. Going to be a big weekend for your stable at the uh, fairgrounds. And if you win on Saturday, we're going to bug the living hell out of you about whether or not she's going to run in the Kentucky Derby. So be prepared for that. But, Tom, thanks so much for your time. And, again, best of luck this weekend. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure. And uh, I apologize for not being sophisticated enough to get on the, the proper uh, Twitter channel or the Zoom channel to get to you guys on time. Okay. Thanks, Tom. As this week's guest of the week, Tom Amos will receive a free one-hour tax consultation from the Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. Why do the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisor? We simply save them money and know how to make them more successful. Over the past 40 years, founder Leonard Green has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. His in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Here in Pennsylvania, we're proud of our breeding program, the best in North America, but we're also proud to be leaders in this industry. The PA Horse Breeders Association is funding cutting-edge research at Penn Vet to detect gene doping in thoroughbreds, and we endorsed the SAFE Act to help protect the most vulnerable horses. Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare programs set up by our horsemen's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the PHBA. This week, a Pennsylvania bred hopped onto the Triple Crown Trail when Chase the Chaos won the El Camino Real Derby at Golden Gate on Saturday, earning a free guaranteed berth into the Preakness and also earning 
10 Derby points if he is nominated to the Triple Crown by the late nomination deadline of March the 27th. That's now two wins in a row for Chase the Chaos, read by Dale Kraft in Pennsylvania. Well, the main action this weekend will take place at the fairgrounds where we have major preps for both the Kentucky Oaks and uh, the Kentucky Derby. We just heard from Tom Amos talking about Hoosier Philly. And after uh, you know hearing Tom and, and also talking to him uh, last year, I had to go back and say, you know, what's going on here? Why the hype? What's, she's uh, didn't win the Breeders' Cup uh, from a speed – she being Hoosier Philly, obviously. From a speed figure standpoint, really isn't all that very fast. Uh, her best buyer number is an 81. So I, I, I took a chance to look back for a third or fourth time at her win in the Goldenrod at Churchill. And I get it. Uh, I mean, she just uh, – I mean, she just looked like a sensation in there. Now – Randy, as you brought up, should she be eleven to one in the Derby future wager? That's insane. No, I mean, that's insane. absolutely insane. You know, we don't even. You know, Tom is not committed to running her in the Kentucky Derby. He's just mentioned it. She's the second choice among um, the other than the all other, which is just which is all Bob Baffert because he's not his horses aren't in the Derby future wager. That's two to one. Eleven to one is insane. But, but be that as it may, um, you know, she's she's so exciting and. You know, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'd love to see her run in the Derby, but let's worry about the Rachel Alexander first. Um, there's some decent horses in there. I, I think Chop Chop coming off a nice second place finish in the Silver Bullet Day for Brad Cox uh, is a legitimate horse. Pretty mischievous is a legitimate horse, but uh, I don't expect Hoosier Philly to do anything other than put on a show. Yeah, in her last race at Churchill Downs in a race called the Goldenrod, she beat a filly who she'll run against again in the Rachel Alexander called Knock Your Socks Off. That's exactly what happens when you watch Hoosier Philly on video. She knocks your socks off. Uh, and what's funny about Hoosier Philly, you know, I go back, as, I, as we said in our interview, I go back to the 1980s with Tom Amos. Uh, after Hoosier Philly broke her maiden first time out of Churchill Downs, it was a workmanlike performance. She, I think, got 76 buyer. She didn't, you know, wasn't visually like, wow, when you watched that race. And, and I ran into Tom and, you know, I said, where you got in the barn? And he's like, the best horse I've ever trained. And I said, really? And I said, who? And he said, who's your filly? And I'm like, really? I mean, you know, I didn't challenge him on it. Uh, but obviously now we see what he's talking about. Um, she does have a pretty good opponent here in Chop Chop. Uh, if you go, as you pointed out, if you go just by numbers, Chop Chop is coming off a really fast win in her last start at the fairgrounds with a race over the track in the Silver Bullet Day, a race that, uh, that she finished second, actually, to a horse called the Alley's Look. The one-two finishers both trained by Brad Cox, and they were 13 lengths ahead of the third-place finisher. So that was a really good effort from a filly that is stakes-tested in Chop Chop. Uh, so it won't be a complete walkover on paper, you would think, from Hoosier Philly. This is going to be a nice test for Hoosier Philly coming off a layoff, but I, I also think she'll probably run to what'll be, what, two to five odds? Yeah, she's going to be extremely tough to beat. I mean, if, if you're trying to beat her, the only thing you're hoping, much like Wonder Wheel, is that she's not quite tight enough. She has been training at the fairgrounds, whereas Wonder Wheel was not training at Tampa Bay Downs. She does only have three recorded works, and they're good. You can go to yeah. Tom Amos's feed, <laughs> and you can watch some of those works. And anytime you can work 47-2 and two at the fairgrounds, I've ridden there, I've worked horses there, that's pretty darn quick. Uh, fastest of 86. The next one was the fastest of 67. And the first one she had this year on the 28th of January, 47 and 2, the fastest of 102. And the thing about the East Coast trainers that we don't seem to have on the West Coast is 
while you're only seeing a half mile time, these horses will gallop out five eighths, three quarters, and seven eighths. Tom Amos's barn is by the five eighths pole. And when he works horses, they'll go past the wire, past the mile pole, past the seven eighths pole, past the three quarters, and they'll pull up down by the half mile pole. So I can guarantee that even though she's got three works just under her belt, she's likely fit enough. And she was good enough to win first time out. She is the filly to beat. But for those of you looking at the three works, thinking, is she beatable? She, I mean, she might be, but I doubt it. It is a long, long stretch, that New Orleans stretch. If you start lagging at the 16th pole, it's, it's a long way, let me tell you. It is like the longest stretch in the world. Uh, we'll find out more about the boys and the Risen Star. And this is a very different race than the um, Rachel Alexander, where you have a two to five favorite. Uh, you have a, a big, bulky field, no major horses uh, in here um, in a very evenly matched race. Somebody will emerge from this, no doubt, and kind of jump up and maybe for the uh, time being be the leader among the fairgrounds-based contingent. I, I think Tom Amos has a very good chance in here with Curly Jack as well. He talked about that horse uh, in the... Uh, in the podcast earlier. My pick is going to be Tappet's Conquest for Brad Cox. Uh, finished second last time out in an allowance race, but caught, caught behind last behind a pretty slow pace. They went 25 and changed the first quarter. Allowance race in the fairgrounds. I think Cox is very good at getting his horses to improve as they go through the, um, the, the, uh, the various races to get them ready for the Kentucky Derby. But uh, very wide open race, Randy. Um, interesting, very good betting race. And um, We'll see what happens on Saturday in the Risen Star. What are your thoughts? Yeah, totally wide open. I mean, you got the winner of the Smarty Jones, the one-two finishers, actually, in victory formation in Angel of Empire. you got the runner-up in the LeCompte and two fills, who was second behind Instant Coffee and ran a really good race. You've got Curly Jack. You've got the one-two finishers in that allowance race you're talking about, Determinedly and Tappet's Conquest, who certainly looked the best of those two in that race. And a horse that Zoe mentioned a little bit earlier that was previously trained by Bob Baffert. This is a horse that's kind of – off the radar screen here, but I'm telling you, Harlow Cap has a heck of a chance in this spot because he comes off of a maiden win January the 22nd at Santa Anita. Every horse so far, and I think there have been three of them that have come out of that maiden race, have improved their buyer speed figures next out by at least 10 points. They have been running lights out, in, including a horse in Text the Legend and Yellow Brick, two of them who just ran behind Skinner in that really fast maiden race at Santa Anita last weekend. And Harlow Cap blew him away, blew him away in there. Uh, so he is not without a chance in there either. It should be a very entertaining race. Yeah, don't discount the California speed. It's not often you'll see Bob ship one to the fairgrounds, but Bob's not really shipping. He put the horse on the, on the train, so to speak, and Steve Asmussen takes over Harlow Cap. So looks like we've seen the first of Bob Runners go to other trainers. This horse does keep his regular rider, Johnny B. It's going to be a go for Harlow Cap. Uh, he's going to be extremely tough in here. I do like victory formation for trainer Brad Cox. You get Pratt sticking with that one. And then there's a horse light on numbers that I'm definitely going to take another look at, drawn down towards the inside. That single ruler. For Keith DeSormo, who's having a terrific meet down at the fairgrounds. And this is just atypical for Keith, right? Bought this one for 65000 takes a few starts to break the maiden, breaks the maiden in impressive fashion, and then moves forward. He's run six times already. Visually, that was a very, very impressive maiden win by him last time out. If he can move forward, 
distance is not going to be a problem for him by Empire Maker. Out of a storm cat mare, visually he's your atypical long, lean, big, growthy looking colt that uh, Keith likes to buy. So he's a live long shot for me in there. And guys, another interesting aspect of the Risen Stars, the way the race ought to be run. We've talked about Harlow Cap and his California speed. Well, victory formation in his last start in the Smarty Jones had an outside draw in an eight-horse field and was ridden very aggressively from the gate to get the lead by Flavian Pratt. Pratt's back on him again in the Risen Star. He has an even farther outside draw in this race. So I think we can expect a very fast pace. And, and back to Harlow Cap, keep in mind, Baffert is currently banned at the fairgrounds because it is a Churchill Downs own track. So if the owners wanted to run Harlow Cap in this race, uh, you know, maybe they, they wanted to go the Louisiana route to the Derby. They, they had no choice but to uh, make a trainer change and Harlow Cap shows up for Steve Asmus. And perhaps it'll be his 10,000th career winner. We'll never know. We'll have to see. That'll be another big story to watch this weekend. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. The XBTV work of the week is a dual work. We've got two champs working here, Country Grammar on the outside and then Tabor down on the inside. This is the third time this pair has worked together and Tabor just getting the better of Country Grammar. We know that Country Grammar's a grinder. Tabor's not usually a very good workhorse, but this is the best I've seen him in quite some time. They pair up in 125 and two prior to their trip to the Saudi Cup, the $20 million race. It's like they left this morning from Santa Anita and they are en route right now. This is just two of many top class horses you'll see on XBTV.com. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TDN Rises Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining West Point Thoroughbreds can literally launch you right into the winner's circle for a fraction of the cost. Learn more at westpointtb.com. Meanwhile, racing as a gelding for the first time, Empire Ride broke his maiden by two and three quarter lengths Thursday at Aqueduct, pulling away in the stretch with a persistent ride from Manny Franco. Are you a fan of Flightline? I am, so I want some of this swag, guys. West Point Thoroughbreds is introducing the Flightline Collection. Dress like a champion and visit westpointtb.com to check out the merch. Guys, Terry, I need some of that merchandise. I'm, uh, I'll be your model. I know that Randy will wear some too, and Bill. Well, this week's Remy Balak cartoon is in. It'll be in Friday's edition of the TDN. Now, you think that we've only been betting on horses, what, maybe since the 1700s or so? Not true. Remy Balak has unearthed information that the cavemen were betting on horses were the world's oldest bookie. You'll love his cartoon this week in the TDN. Well, that's a wrap on another show. I want to thank my co-hosts, Zoe Cadman and Randy Moss. Our Green Group guests of the week, Tom Amos. Our producer, Patty Wolf. Our associate producer, Katie Petruniak. And our editors, Anthony LaRocca, Aaliyah LaRocca, and Nathan Wilkinson. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on the TDN Writers Room Podcast.